Hello, everybody. You're probably thinking, hmm, Travis sounds different today. And yes, I'm currently getting over a slight cold from last week, and I'm actually not Travis. My name is Finner, and I'm currently interning with the amazing team here at Fool and Scholar Productions. And I'm here today to tell you about the last city. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. A geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors like Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Torado, and Maury Sterling. You can follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A big thanks to Wondery for supporting shows like The White Vault. And now, on with the scheduled programming. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following documents and recordings are the fourth installment in a compilation detailing the events of the repair team sent to Outpost Freestead, consisting of Dr. Rosa Della Torre, Walter Heath, Graham Kasner, Dr. Karina Schumacher-Weiss, and Jonas Thorninson. In the winter months, gale storms in Svalbard can reach speeds of 130 km per hour. Accompanied by or following snowfall, such storms can reduce visibility dramatically, more so in the winter months of the polar night. During these storms, travel is not advised. The White Vault previous instalment, the assessment and repair team decides to continue their exploration of the strange finding under the ice. The first report from this day is believed to be this video recording found on the phone of Dr. Schumacher Weiss. Hey Rolf, ich vermiss dich so sehr. Es ist so kalt hier. Ich werde noch zu Frostbeule. Jeden Tag friert es mich die ganze Zeit. Hey Rolf, I miss you so terribly. It's so cold here. I think I will turn into a frostbite. Every day I'm freezing, all the time. I wish you were here to warm me and together we could leave the storming waste. I don't have any internet or cell signal out here, so this video is more for my own lonely soul than your ears. But I like to think you are listening. I like to think many things. I like to lay in my cold bed and pretend that I'm on the grass of Montbijou Park. I like to think I'm soaking in sun and watching you try to bumble through saying you love me for the first time. You won't ever hear this video, Rolf. At least not until after the proposal. 
I know it is coming and I'm filled with so much hope. Life has been so stressful between getting my degree, that dump accident at my last job, and looking for new work. You're the light and hope of my life. If you don't ask me soon, then you will get a rather beloved surprise yourself back in Montbijou Park this summer. <sighs> the snow here has not stopped for days. Even if it did, the winds are not to be reckoned with. Snow here is so different than the snow at home. German snow feels... Safe to me. It makes me think of Glühwein at the last Weihnachtsmarkt, of simple nights in and a time you try to make lasagna. No, the snow here is different. It is harsh and painful. I can think of nothing good about it. In earnest, it feels like a wall. It keeps me away from you and my better memories, and from the upcoming event I'm so excited for. I told Mama. She sent me a video response just before I boarded the plane. She's so excited she already thinks of you as her son-in-law. There are some things I'm ashamed to admit. Uh, like that I've been looking for a dress for some time now. <laughs> Something classic to go with my grandmother's veil. Uh, but it's bad luck to think of such things now. Uh, so today we are heading into the tunnels under the storage bunker to reach the town we found. The cover and the cave, the hall, whatever we found. I've never seen anything like it. I hope that I can get some more information today when we are there. We did not venture into the larger area last time. We stood on a high threshold and looked down upon it. When I get closer, perhaps I can determine more. We're going and prepared, so no need to worry. I am most frightened of the polar bears, which I still love so dearly. We heard one our first night out here, but we have not seen one or heard one since. The people here carry guns and noisemakers to ward them off and protect themselves. I would feel such heartbreak to kill a polar bear. But I can understand that it's for survival. Wish me luck, Rolf. Perhaps this time next month I will be known as one of the great ancient village of Svalbard's first explorers. I love you. The following is a brief recording for Mr. Heath's personal camcorder. And we are rolling. You're staying here. What? No! Why? Yes, why? We need someone here at the bunker at all times. We're still waiting on a response on the radio, and it looks like the storm may lighten up today. Not a lot, but maybe just enough to get a message through. It's good practice to have someone here at all times, Walter. I'm sorry. I will be taking copious notes. I can share them with you later. So I get to sit back here with ancient radio tech waiting on a signal we don't even really know is coming while you all gallivant off into an ancient town under the ice. Don't think of it in such a way. Tomorrow you can go. Just mind the radio. We'll be back later. Fine. You will go be Lara and I'll be Winston making tea complaining about the weather. The following are a collection of field notes compiled by Dr. Schumacher Weiss during her expedition to the town beneath the ice. Unlike her personal logs, most of these notes were written in English. Additionally, the pages of the small notebook are dirtied and slightly wrinkled by moisture. Some of the notes have become illegible and are not read here. The geological variation here is vast. This area is known to have a basement layer of Ordovician formation, but nearby areas also have Silurian and Devonian, 
so we are looking at an original formation basement from around 485 to 358 million years ago. The geological examination of Svalbard is underway even today. The rovers active in this area are proof of such. The caves appear to be some mixture of igneous and metamorphic rock, eventually becoming mostly igneous the deeper we go. The caves are mostly obsidian now, glassy and reflective. Helps to lighten the hike. Lava caves? I am upset at my inability to determine even the simplest answer regarding the formation of these caves. I would be bent toward believing that it is a lava cave, yet the shape deviates greatly from others of its kind. Is it possible we have already passed beneath the sedimentary layer? The hall is still as blue as I have recalled. Perhaps some kind of parabolic reflection of the minimal light coming in through the glacier above. The hall is circular in appearance. Sloped walls ranging from approximately 45 to 70 degrees leading to the glacial roof. I estimate a length of approximately 200 meters at the widest point of the hall. Plenty of space for the small stone huts and paths. Given the disorienting light, I will not make an estimate of the height. Though based on one of the buildings, it must be more than four stories tall. Some of the buildings have been built into the walls. Perhaps the stones removed from the sloped walls was utilized in the freestanding hut's construction? Inside the dwellings built into the wall, there are several flattened wall sections where geological layers can be determined. There's a fossil, some kind of trilobite. I'm not well versed in their identification, and I'm certainly not a paleontologist, but this place is a wealth of information for those able to uncover it. Dr. Schumacher Weiss's brief field notes stop there. The next recording comes from the cell phone of Mr. Thorninson. I'm recording you. Why? For Walter. He would have wanted to record something. Good idea. He will appreciate it. I'll be right back. Where are you going, Rosa? Karina already wandered off. We've already hiked two hours. I drink a lot of coffee, so excuse me. Uh, Karina is up there in that row of huts. Shit, how did she get up there? Whew. So, what do you think of this place, Kessner? I... I think it's dangerous. See that? Over there? Well, that's evidence of previous rock slides. And some of those collapsed structures look like they suffered from an icefall. At least I see no evidence of bears. No tracks, scat, or kill remains. I'm relieved to hear that. It is a long hike through the caves to get here. I do not see another entrance, so unless a polar bear somehow got into the auxiliary bunker, I am unsure how it would get down here. What type of skin is that? Best guess? Walrus. What does this look like to you? Uh, a heater? Maybe coal? Yes, it seems each structure has one. And that? I, I, I don't know. A bowl? It's slimy. A dirty bowl. I've seen things like these when I led a group of anthropologists to the Chukchi Peninsula. It's an oil lamp, like a seal, walrus, or whale. That makes sense. It would be available to them on the island. Uh, there are walruses and seal skins in every hut we've seen so far. This far... She fell. From up there. She... she's not waking up. I don't see blood. 
she's alive. Jonas, get some of those skins, the larger ones, sturdy ones. The recording cuts there. No recordings or documents regarding Dr. Schumacher Weiss's condition or the day's expedition are available until after the team returns to the bunker. The following was written by Dr. Della Torre regarding the injury. As per the request of the Sidger Group, reports that will be read and filed by the company must be written in English, Norwegian or Icelandic. Patient Dr. Karina Schumacher Weiss. Female, 30, approximately 61 kilos, 174 centimeters. Diagnosis, concussion, currently unconscious, as well as a sprain to the left ankle and several light bruises. Blood pressure, 90 over 60. Oxygen saturation, 93%. Breath, 10 breaths per minute. Pulse, 60 beats per minute. Temperature, 36.6 Celsius. Cause, patient fell from a height of approximately 4.5 meters onto a rocky surface. Recommendation? CT scan not available. Limit to travel or movement. 24-hour monitoring or until consciousness is regained. Notes. Wearing a snowsuit and head coverings helped act as a cushion to protect her from lacerations or further damage. She has been unconscious since 12.34 and it is now 15.23. I have examined her for further injuries and indications of internal bleeding or damage to the brain as best as possible without the appropriate equipment. No bruising around the eyes or behind the ears. No swelling or warmth can be felt across the skull. Her pupils are reactive and she appears to be in a deep state of REM sleep. She's being monitored on the portable signal extraction pox oximeter and watched over by myself and the other members of the team for signs of change. When the portable signal extraction pox oximeter was first attached and first measurements taken in the cave following her fall, her vitals read as follows. Blood pressure 144 over 90, ox set 97%, breath 18 breaths per minute, pulse 74 beats per minute, temperature 36.5 centigrade. Given her current resting statistics, I would believe she had been in a state of excitement shortly before the fall. I would usually not recommend moving a person in Karina's situation, but it was ill-advised to stay in the extreme temperature conditions of the cave for too long. We waited a period of 20 minutes for her to regain consciousness as I examined her head and neck for noticeable injuries before we decided to return her to the bunker. Jonas and Graham constructed a stretcher from several of the animal skins, walking poles, and duct tape, and we were able to safely transport her back to the bunker with only short points of noticeable difficulty. The following is a written action report from Mr. Kasner. We set out this morning around 0900 hours for the tunnels beneath the auxiliary bunker. The out team included Dr. Rosa de la Torre, Dr. Karina Schumacher-Weiss, Jonas Thorirson, and myself. The repair technician, Walter Heath, remained at Outpost Freestead's primary bunker to attend to the radio in hopes of making contact with Neolicern. Fully equipped, we began the uneventful hike through the marked cave system to the cavernous stone village beneath the glacial ice. We stopped periodically on the way so that Karina could take notes, but otherwise our hike was unimpeded. Upon reaching the exit to the tunnel and entrance to the glacial-covered space, I set about attaching the pitons and lines for descent. We have now utilized more than half of our rope. 
the majority of which has been used to mark the correct cave tunnels with a connected line. Once secured, we descended into the cave and began our exploration of the structures and surrounding area. It was early in this stage that Karina broke off from the group to begin her geological evaluation of the area. We examined a few of the buildings. There are several dozen structures, both intact and collapsed. A larger stone building in the middle of the cave is several stories tall, and the only building more than a single ground level in height. But stones block the door, and it does not seem to have another entrance. The small stone structures look as though they vary in size from small single-person hovels to large family structures with multiple beds. Several structures have collapsed. The skins of reindeers, seals, and walruses were prevalent in every structure we could enter. Items such as forks, spoons, needles, barbs, fishing hooks, and combs made from either bone, tooth, or walrus tusk were found in the structures, as well as stone bowls, cups, plates, oil lamps, grinders, and knives. Knives were commonly of obsidian. None of these items appeared out of place. Every structure appeared as though it were cleaned and set right before the inhabitant left the building. Many of the structures no longer have roofs, as over time the skins that formed the roofs fell inward. There is no wood present in the down that I could find. Narwhal tusks measuring up to three meters and arched bones lashed together with hind thongs appear to have been the supports for such roofs. After examining the settlement for about an hour, Jonas and I heard a scream, followed by a yell from Rosa. We rushed over to find Rosa over Karina, Karina seemingly unconscious. Rosa reported seeing her fall from an above ledge. Rosa attended to Karina while Jonas and I began finding the materials needed to create a stretcher, if necessary. I examined the area Karina fell from. She had taken a set of stairs carved into the stone of the cave wall to reach the huts carved into the walls above. Given the stairs, she most likely thought it was safe to ascend to the area. Jonas and I collected strong seal skins from the buildings and utilized our sturdy retractable walking pole and duct tape from our packs. Twenty minutes after the fall, Karina was still unconscious, so we decided to carefully place her on the stretcher and begin the hike back to the bunker. The most difficult part of the maneuvering was getting the stretcher up into the return tunnel. Rosa braced Karina's neck, and thankfully Jonas and I were able to carefully lift and slide the stretcher under the raised cave entrance. The hike back took longer than usual, but we arrived back at Outpost Freestead without additional incident, though the narrow staircase also proved difficult. Karina is still unconscious and under the watch of Dr. De La Torre. The following is a recording taken from Mr. Heath's laptop from the file labelled Svalbard Findings. What happened? What's wrong with Karina? She fell from a ledge. She has been asleep since the fall. Like a concussion? She could have a skull fracture or something, right? How did it happen? Maybe, but Rosa is keeping an eye on her. Now is not the time to act irrationally. 
Dr. Dallatore will keep excellent care of Karina. How did she fall? She was wearing crampons and had a walking pick. Please calm down, Mr. Heath. Were you able to get a message through to Nialisem? No, I, I don't know. I sent out several messages, but I never got a normal response. I got something else, though. What is something else? It's really odd. I'm listening. I sent out a general message once every half hour or so. The first two times I received no indication of response. The third time, and every time thereafter, until about an hour ago, I got some very interesting sounds over the radio. Do you have a recording? Do I have a recording? Of course I have a recording. Let me hear it. Fine. I'll get it set up. Go get Kasner. What do you need? Listen to this. Rather than have you listen to the recording through another recorded file, I have located the file Mr. Heath played for Mr. Kasner and Mr. Thorninson. It was recorded on the transmitter's built-in recorder. I'm recording this because I've been receiving some strange responses to my outgoing transmissions today at the outpost. I'm about to try and hail Nialison. At this stage, I'm just trying to reach anyone there, regardless of the research team or company responding. Here we go. Right. <clears throat> this is Walter Heath at Outpost Freestead, approximately 33 kilometers northeast of Nialison, south of the border to the National Park reaching out for Seizure Group to report repair status completed. Anyone, please respond. is the strange shit I've been dealing with all day. No idea what that is. So, uh, yeah. All right. This is the remainder of the group recording from before. I don't recognize that sound. I heard that several times today. It was never exactly the same. D did you fix the equipment correctly? Yes. That's not the question. The question is, what kind of hellish response was that? Were those? I need tea. Are you sure there's no tea? There's coffee. Rosa, how is she? Is it wise to leave her alone? She's still asleep. The oximeter is still hooked up and the volume is high. If anything changes, it will alert me. Aside from a sprained ankle and being unconscious, I can't find anything wrong with her. What's going on? Some strange responses over the radio. That's not quite how I would have worded it. I have something similar. What? I heard that or something similar. Uh, yesterday, when you were gone and I was manning the radio, I got an incoming transmission. Similarly strange, though slightly longer in duration. I recorded it on my phone. Play it. thought it was you. Me? Now, I know I don't always remember to close my mouth when I eat, but I've never sounded like that. I thought it was a prank. Uh, like one of your scariest movie sound bites or something. K 
Keep hailing the Olesern. Tell them about the storm. We have enough food to stay out here for a couple weeks, but we now have someone who may require medical attention. Will do. The last of the notes from the day of Dr. Schumacher Weiss's injury comes from Mr. Thorninson from a notepad next to his bed. Hulda was correct. The work city group does in Svalbard is obviously of great importance, but this place is wearing me down. The people we have hired on for this expedition are talented members of the field, and they do not deserve to be stuck out here in the storm. But the work is done, so now the storm just needs to fade away. Karina fell today, while we were in the underground village. She has not awoken since the incident. I worry that such tragedies would ever befall my daughters. I want only to provide the best life for them, the best world. Some things I can shield them from, but others I know I cannot. We can teach them to be wary of crossing streets, to never venture out alone, to heed our knowledge, but one glance away, and they could tumble from their playsets or be tossed by a pony. Hilda and I can only expect to do so much, but we will do what we can. They are better for what I do. The hard work and time away from them I put into enriching their lives. Hilda knows I'm a good father. She knows I will do anything for our girls. This concludes those documents related to the day of Dr. Schumacher Weiss's injury and completes the fourth collection of information regarding the repair team at Outpost Freestead. The White Vault. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 